Welcome back to our Weird History episode, where we seek to bring you tales of the strange and unusual throughout history. Before we get into what this topic is, which again, I don't know, we once again have our lovely guest, Matt. Yay! Hey everyone, glad to be back. But uh, do tell Melissa, what's today's topic? Today's topic is, um, okay, so I'm not sure how to address this. Um, it definitely involves the killing of animals, but it's such a really weird ecological disaster that I really kind of had to talk about it because it's not something I ever knew about. And this will probably be a part two in that what is often referred to as the Sparrow Wars happened in China in one way and happened in America in a different way. How are there, wait, two Sparrow Wars or one Sparrow War? I'm confused. Two Sparrow Wars, two separate countries. So China had a Sparrow's War and America had what was technically called a Sparrow War. But the one in America is just straight up academic weird. The one in China was not good. But it's worth mentioning because I found it very interesting. Like how explanatory not good is. <laughs> not good. A little bit better. Yeah. Okay. So to start off, uh, we'll probably said those probably be a two-parter because I don't know how long this first section on the Chinese Sparrow Wars are, is going to go. Uh, so we'll probably have a second part where we record the American Sparrow Wars and we'll see how that goes. Or it might be tacked on at the end, depending on how long this episode goes. So if you don't hear anything at the end about American Sparrows, look for part two. Okay, so we're starting off with the Chinese Sparrow. Yeah, we're going to start off with the bad one and end with the crazy, silly one. Okay, sounds good. Let's get going. Yeah. Okay, so... I'm sure some of us have known that, okay, so there have been very, there, there have been several environmental disasters throughout human history, whether it's an introduction of an invasive, an invasive plant species to new continents, or like with Australia, the introduction of rabbits, or at least European rabbits. Do you think the emu war is something? Look up the rabbit wars that Australia had. Uh, but there's also volcano eruptions. We're talking natural disasters as well. There's the Krakatoa eruption in 1863 and the Tambora eruption in 1815 that are often referred to as the years without summer because of the amount of ash and smoke that went into the, the atmosphere that blocked the sun. Those are really interesting topics I might do for another day. But then there are also the environmental disasters that are not just made by people, but instituted by governments. And that you, I'm sure, can tell is not going to end well. So for this, at least first part, the year is 1958. And Mao Zedong is in charge of the People's Republic of China and has been now for nine years. He has recently put into an effect a policy that will literally change the course of Chinese history, or at least the population of Chinese or China, and in a completely unexpected way. And it's often referred to as the four pest campaign. And it would actually become one of, if not the 
worst ecological disaster in the history of humanity. Do go on. <laughs> I'm now, as I color me curious, as Matt would say. And as I said to you earlier, just take a marker and write curious on his forehead with a colored marker. I'm definitely thinking about doing that. <laughs> He'll just fall asleep on the couch one day and I'll just be like, mm, Sharpie. <laughs> All right. So let's, uh, let's get a little more into it. So as I said, nine years previous, Zedong took power and not too long after he introduced or instituted what he called the Great Leap Forward. And this was a major social and economic campaign that he put forward that was intended to change the lives of the Chinese people for the better. Initially, it was supposed to be a program that was going to industrialize China to the sort of state of power of the USSR at the time, or the Soviet Union. And also, his Mao's end goal was to build an economy that could surpass Great Britain's economy. Because at the time, China was very much agricultural-based, but it was very poor. And they weren't as industrialized as other major powers. And again, it's 19. So he took power in 1949, post-World War II. And there's a lot of debt to be paid from various countries to other countries post-World War II, particularly from Asia. One of the parts of the campaign was, and, get, and remember, it's the People's Republic of China. Communism has now taken control. So one of the big campaigns was to make farming a collective and state-sponsored task, specifically outlawing the ability for anyone to privately own farms because it's against communism. So not long after implementing this Great Leap Forward campaign, Zedong then set his sights on pests that he believed plagued the country. Rats, mosquitoes, flies, and Sparrows. So he set his sights on destroying those things, which actually helped keep an balanced ecosystem, correct? Correct. Okay. Just making sure I'm getting the full picture here. Yeah. Yep, you, you, you hit that one on the head. Yeah. In fact, sparrows specifically were referred to as the enemies of communism. And they were also declared that all birds were public animals of capitalism. Excuse me? Birds, well, like America's- Public animals of capitalism. Yeah, uh, America's, I mean, I mean, okay. it's not on our flag, but our, our general symbol is an eagle. And That's true. You know, we are capitalists. So birds, uh, I mean, not just sparrows, but birds in general were declared to be capitalistic. Well, but it was probably a jab at America, at, at least America. Well, yeah, not only is our symbol an eagle, a lot of states use animals on their flags, like California uses the bear. Right, sure. Yeah, I mean, every state here has a state bird, a state flower, state, col I don't know, state color, something. We've got a whole bunch of weird stuff here to talk about uh, in the U.S. Uh, that is a whole different topic and a whole different episode. Mao also was incredibly in the belief that man should never bend to nature, but nature must bend to man. 
and his belief in that man can conquer anything and should conquer anything was so strong that he refused flat out to listen to any experts in the field of agriculture and ecology when implementing his four pest campaign, which they told him, you're going to destroy the ecosystem and things aren't going to go out very well. And of course, as we know with dictatorship regimes, what would happen? Whether you're a common person or an expert, if you stood up to the dictator, you're immediately imprisoned, silenced, or likely killed. And anyone that opposed the four pest campaign, yeah, that, that's what happened to them. So like I said, Mao believed that eliminating these pests would create a better crop yield among other things. Also believed that, and he was told this as well from the people that were serving under him, that eliminating these pests from China would also improve the lives and the hygiene of Chinese people. And that sounds a little weird, but at this particular time, most of China was, as I mentioned, was pretty poor. And public health was actually quite low. Infant mortality was believed to have been as many as 300 per 1,000 births. So infant mortality was incredibly high. And diseases such as tuberculosis, cholera, plague, malaria, smallpox, and polio spread rampantly throughout the country. So I can kind of, I, I can understand trying to fix the problem, but if you don't listen to the experts, you're going to just going to make a worse problem. They're experts for a reason. They've got the knowledge. That's funny. Yeah. Sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> now as Lauren mentioned before, if you know anything about ecosystems, if you remove an essential part, it will cause the other pieces of the ecosystem to grow without fear of predators, which is never a good thing because that is how nature has created these things so that there is a, I would say checks and balances, but there is a balance in the ecosystem so that one thing does not thrive over another without a predator of some kind. And a very interesting and case point for this would be the Black Plague in the 1300s. I think it was Pope Gregory VIII, if I remember correctly, deemed that cats, particularly black cats, were a sign of the devil and they needed to go out and kill all the cats during the rampant plague of the 1300s because cats were not seen as Christian or whatever that means exactly. And of course, the rats are carrying the plague and you kill the cats. There are no cats to eat the rats and the rats then spread the plague. And that's exactly what happened because there were no cats for the rats to fear. Whoops. And, that, and that's kind of where I was going with this. So, in the case of China during the four pest campaign, this particular animal that we're gonna specifically go into, because I can kind of get mosquitoes, Mosquitoes are necessary, but I hate them. Flies, I mean, they're pests, but they're not, it's not like termites eating your house or something. They're, they're not quite as destructive as other things. Rats, I mean, well, yeah, nobody likes, I mean, rats make sense, especially if you've got a lot of plague going around. I hate rats. I hate rats. Yeah, I think, I think we all can 
I mean, a pet rat might be one thing, but rats as a whole, no, not a fan. I don't nope. even like them as pets. Nope. I didn't say I would own one as a pet, but at least as a pet, you know, it's clean. Ish. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all pets are a little dirty. But... Well, yeah, but rats are particular, very particular about their cleaning. They're, they, they don't like, they're, it's really interesting, their behavior when grooming themselves. But outside of that, yeah. in terms of the sparrow wars that we're going to get into, this particular sparrow was the Eurasian tree sparrow. And they're not very big because sparrows aren't generally quite big. It's five and a half inches in length. So it's about the size of your palm from head to tail. They're not very big. Now, the two most, the two most common types of sparrows throughout the world are usually the tree sparrows and the house sparrows. House sparrows live in areas of human populations, while tree sparrows typically live in the woods and the trees. Makes sense. Now, partly because they are bigger and partly because they are more aggressive, house sparrows can drive tree sparrows from their nests and take over their, uh, their, their nesting places. In Asia, however, the tree sparrow tends to live like the house sparrow and live in urban areas or developed areas, whether it's a village or a city. They also often eat not just seeds and grain, but also insects, including locusts, millipedes, centipedes, and spiders. I think you can see where this might be going as well. I said locusts, keep that in mind. At the time of 1958, when the Great Sparrow Campaign started, it was concluded by Chinese scientists that sparrows consumed around four and a half kilograms of grain per year. And they also estimated that for every 1 million sparrows that could be killed, there would be food for around 60,000 people. I think I can see where this might be going as well. So in 1958, the Peking People's Daily put out an article stating that, quote, no warrior shall be withdrawn until the battle is won. All must join the battle ardently and courageously. We must persevere with the doggedness of revolutionaries. All the citizens of China were told by their leader and authorities to kill as many sparrows as they could find. And many would actually mobilize into teams and go out searching for sparrows to kill because they were told that the sparrows not only of course were the enemies of communism and the symbol of capitalism, but also they're destroying our ability to enrich our lives and become a more industrial agrarian culture. At first, most of the cities, most of the citizens would walk the streets of the villages and cities with rags on poles, shouting, long live the great Mao, while searching for sparrows. And then they would take the rags and wave them or beat drums and pots. This in turn would actually frighten the sparrows to take flight, which makes sense. And fortunately for the sparrows, because they're small, they can only sustain flight for close to 15 minutes maximum. And that's asking a little too much even then before they need to stop and rest. Unfortunately for the birds, because this was a nationwide campaign with millions of people doing this, they, the villages, it's literally mob, mob mentality against an animal, but an entire species, which is 
I mean, weird, but kind of unthinkable when you really, I mean, it just, it just baffles me. But they would frighten the birds and destroy their nests. But it would, it, essentially, they would frighten the birds into flight and keep them frightened in flight for so long that the birds fell out of the sky from exhaustion and died. Yeah, it's absolutely cruel. I don't like this story. <laughs> I don't like it either, but it was so crazy. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's just crazy. I said people go and destroy the nests and destroy their just where they might even nest in buildings and stuff. And others would actually take the opportunity to shoot down the birds as they were in flight. This apparently also included an all-girls rifle team that were trained specifically to shoot down as many birds as possible. There was even an anti-sparrow army. You, uh, huh? Huh, they, which part? They seriously made an entire army just to kill these really small birds. Well, I would think that the anti-sparrow, it's not an army army. I'm thinking it's more like Hitler Youth Anti-Sparrow Army because it's mostly commoners and not military. Okay. I'm, that's a different picture than what I was having in my head. So the young people, by that I mean teenagers, maybe early 20s, were tasked with trapping, attacking, and poisoning the sparrows. The elderly and very young children kept watch as the middle generation attacked the sparrows and if they missed one the the old and the the very young would let them know so that they can go and kill the sparrows that they missed it's like it's it's literally mob mentality but on a nationwide scale it just baffles me this just totally baffles me apparently from an interview at the time one of the citizens when asked about this stated it was fun to wipe out the four pests the whole school went to kill sparrows. We made ladders to knock down their nest and beat gongs in the evening when they would come home to roost. The government even held contests for schools, businesses, and various agencies on who could turn over the highest amount of dead sparrows. I don't know what they would have won, though. I was just about to ask that. I know. Like, I can find that the, in particular information. What was the incentive at the end of that? Uh, the incentive was to do your part for your country and be patriotic. That's really what it was. Because if you didn't, you would probably go into prison for disobeying Mao. I mean, young, old, commoner scientists, if you stood up to anything he put down, you were arrested. It didn't matter if you could you like, I'm sure it, I mean, under these kind of dictatorships, it doesn't matter if you're five or 50, if they deem you to be against the system, that's it. That's just kind of how a lot of these dictatorships go. Now, this one's really weird on top of this already distressing and weird story. According to a report from the Polish embassy in Beijing, between 1958 and 1960, the embassy refused to allow Chinese citizens into the embassy who wanted to come in to rid the embassy of all the roosting sparrows because they believed all the sparrows had to be killed. 
and I can I, I completely agree not letting this mob inside to kill birds I totally agree with it but the citizens not being allowed inside of an international embassy surrounded the embassy for the following two days at one point continually beating drums and pots around the clock causing all the sparrows in the embassy to take flight and then die from exhaustion according to a report afterwards the poles at the, the polish embassy had to use shovels to clear away all the dead sparrows that were killed in and around the embassy i can't even imagine that's a, i mean that's and embassies aren't massive but that's a lot of birds to begin with that's a lot of birds and that's just really sad that's a lot of birds in just one building or at least a series of buildings well i mean it seems like a refuge probably probably oh that's fair i didn't think about that it probably seemed like a refuge because i'm birds are not dumb they're pretty smart normally so if probably, there's a place you can find refuge that these people aren't coming to kill you i could i can see that it never even occurred to me to think that so yeah and then you make a lot of noise and you get the bejesus scared out of you fair so yeah that's just sad oh yeah well it's about to get a little sadder but not necessarily for the birds because we know what's happening to the birds right now so all of this effort which only lasted three years 1958, 1959, and 1960, all in just three years, nearly caused the entire sparrow population of China, which is massive to begin with, to be almost entirely extinct. It isn't specifically known because obviously government records are completely closed off, but we don't know how many sparrows were actually killed during this three-year period but it is estimated to have been at minimally and the hundreds of thousands if not millions and going back to my original point in the beginning if you take away a major part of an ecosystem especially a predator you're going to have a devastating effect on the ecosystem especially when it also involves the human population in the area as well so I'm going to ask you this question. Why are sparrows important? They eat all the little bugs that you don't want around. Exactly. Mostly during their lives, sparrows will typically eat grain and seeds, which was the whole point of starting this in the first place. Because if you eliminate the pests that are eating your grains and seeds, you can then use them for human food. But at a certain stage in their development, they also eat insects, particularly, as I mentioned, locusts. After the first major wave of eradication in 1958, crops actually began a massive yield in 1959, which gave people the false understanding that this was actually working and it was a really good idea, so they kept it up. This also led many of the insects that would be fed on by the sparrows free to spread throughout the country, causing massive destruction as locusts typically do when they're not in check. I mean, if you want to think about locusts and the horrible things they did, all you got to think of, I don't know if you saw the movie The Prince of Egypt. I'm assuming you did. Yeah. 
the locusts in the ten in the ten plague scene. Yeah, just and that's just one one idea. I mean, I was thinking back to the uh, the, the the first mummy movie, and it's more like a curse at some point where the Egyptologist of the, the museum is like, a plague of locusts would be better than you. I forgot about that. I need to rewatch that movie. <laughs> Give me frogs, flies, locusts, anything but you. <laughs> You're welcome. At least we get a little something silly in here. Now, without the sparrow population, because you have now killed hundreds of thousands, if not millions of sparrows, locusts specifically began to thrive and locusts are known to swarm in the thousands and can very easily destroy farming crops if they're not controlled which is why there are predators created to eat them within just two years from 59 to 60 the locust population and I, I we say this and it's the wrong use of the word decimated but I'm saying it anyway decimated many of the crops and farms throughout the country particularly the rice fields and rice is the main grain out in asia exactly still is to this day this led the country obviously to have a lot less food as the insects ate the food leaving untold citizens to die from starvation it is actually estimated and literally about to get your mind blown by these stats. Estimated that in just these three years, this sparrow campaign is believed not by the Chinese government, but by experts who study this to have caused between 36 to 70, possibly a high as high as 78 million people to die in just three years did you just say as high as 78 million around between uh, it's typically believed between 36 and 45 million but estimates have gone as high as possibly 78 million people to die in three years that's a lot of people to die over some sparrows i'd rather a few sparrows eat a little bit of grain here and there then the locusts just completely decimate all the food. Yeah. Well, the Chinese government, who typically tends to sweep this under the rug, mind you, this happened in 58 to 60, so it's not like they teach it in school either. But officially, the Chinese government will state that only 15 million people died from starvation, amongst a few other things like disease and stuff that caused the pest to get crazy. But Regardless, 15 million is still a lot of your population. That's exactly what I was just thinking is that it doesn't matter whether it's 78 million, 25 million, 45 million, a million, 15 million. That's a large number to be losing to starvation because you decided to kill off some sparrows. Just if you had left the sparrows alone and just giving them some grain here and there. Well, it's more than just the sparrows, but it's, yeah, it's a combination of a variety of things, but it's because of the sparrow campaign that a lot of the other things combine together to create this 
horrific, baffling death toll. To give an idea, even at the smallest of estimations, that is more Chinese people dead in three years of what is known as the Sparrow Famine than during the entirety of Chinese people dead during the entire World War II. I can't fathom that. That's I just, and, and this is at the behest of your government. Yeah, and again, 15 million people, it doesn't matter, 78, 78 million, 45 million, it doesn't matter. You're still in the millions for the amount of people dead. Yeah. So I'd, I'd still rather have the sparrows, and we're talking about in the case of the sparrows right now. Right. I'd still rather have the sparrows eat some of the grain. I don't know. Leave a corner of the field for them. That's still going to save you 15 million, 78 million lives. Well, that's the, I mean, again, it's a dictatorship. That's kind of the problem where the dictator had such a strong belief that man can and will conquer nature and nature must bend to the will of man that he did not listen to and killed off any scientist who just who tried to correct him well of course because the dictator is you you cannot contradict him right i mean that's just how dictators work no matter what the country is that's just how dictators work it's it's people in power with absolute power and they feed on that and most of the time they're generally psychotic anyway or psychopathic, psychopathic, not necessarily psychotic. Um, there is actually a book I haven't, I, I just came across it during my research. I haven't read it, but now I really feel like I want to read it. It's called Tombstone and it's by Yang Jisheng. And it actually chronicles the war on sparrows. And if it really interests you, in addition to the topic of the book, the book itself is also banned in China. Shocking. Right. We're talking about the, the amount of millions of people dead. What do you think they did to combat this massive death toll and also obvious massive lack of food? I mean, what would you do if you were in that situation? Like if you were literally in, in a famine, whether it's the Irish potato famine or a famine caused by killing off predators and pests, if you were in a, a massive famine state where you're, 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 the citizens are literally starving to death because there's not food because the insects are eating the food, what would you try to do to combat that so that you can live? Either of you. Hi, Matt. Feel free to chime in. I feel like... I mean, we're talking extremes here. Yeah, I feel like generally speaking people resort to cannibalism yeah yeah okay yeah yeah i mean look at all the can look at the few cannibalistic situations that we know of donner party yeah, yeah well that was out of necessity well i guess this is too i, I was gonna say this would be out of necessity too you're gonna <laughs> like, turn oh, well i guess in a sense the, the, donner, the donner party was I mean, it's, it, it, it's, it's, you're right. It's in the same vein. I would, to me, my brain automatically didn't go to the Donner party. Cause I'm like, that was an accident that 
you know, weather-wise and everything, they accidentally got themselves in that situation. This was not an accident that people chose to do. Mm-hmm. But you know, and, and in general sense, you're right. It, it's it's still. I'm resort. just saying, when people are starving, that's generally the first. Uh, I think there's even that rugby team where their plane crashed and. Oh, the one the Andes, yeah, the soccer. Yeah, team. yeah, and they, yeah. and they ended up eating each other on that one too. So there's yeah. a really good documentary I found on YouTube about that. It was about 45 minutes long, so standard documentary length, but it was really good. I can't remember what it's called. But I'll have to find out. But yeah. Yeah, you're gonna look to the next source of closest food. Yeah, which, which in this case your neighbor is gonna be another person because well, there's no birds around. There's probably nothing else for you to kill. Well, you're killing the, the birds, but you're not city. eating birds. Now yeah. I don't know how much sustenance a sparrow would give you anyway, but well, there's that. And then on, I, I don't know what's going on with the fishing industry at this time. So, well, yeah, but China's a major massive land. And then most people aren't always going to live. You're living in the hills and the mountains. You're not going to be anywhere near water or at least ocean. Some people, yeah. Depending on where we're talking in China, because it is a huge, massive land. It's huge. When I think of famine, by the way, if you want something satirical, I was about to say hysterical. I think it's hysterical because it's satirical, but um, if you want, we read this in my, I think, 10th grade English class. 9th grade, 10th grade, 11th grade. It was my high school English class, one of them. But Jonathan Swift, the author of Gulliver's Travels, was also a political satirist in Ireland. Read his political satire during i think it's during the potato famine where he encouraged people to eat babies but it's all satire but it's a very silly read if you like satire but in the case of the sparrow campaign yeah according to yang the author of tombstone quote parents ate their kids kids ate their own parents that's brutal that's dark yeah well when you've got millions of citizens dying in just a three-year span, things get dark quick. I'd imagine things got dark real fast. Yeah. Apparently, according to some estimations and some reports, thousands would die and become a food source for their family members during the three-year period known as the Great Famine. Yeah, according to Yang, he also states that millions died unnecessarily. Well, yeah. Through the, oh, sorry, though the fields were depleted from insects running rampant, there were also apparently massive warehouses owned by the government that also held enough grain to feed the country was an estimation. The government, however, according to some reports, never allowed any of the grains and these massive silos to be given out to the people. Would you like to know why? Because they were saving it for themselves? Not quite, but sort of. They were, try- they were selling, the- so again, it's post-World War II, and China, like many countries, has major debts to pay. So the government was using the, the grain that it was stored instead of feeding its people or selling it to other countries to pay its debt during World War II and the Korean War. Of course. Yeah. 
Well, as I said, it only lasted three years. So as soon as it was very evident throughout 1960 that this was an absolute utter disaster, fiasco, horrific, anything you want to call it, Mao Zedong would eventually rescind his order on the killing of sparrows, but continue his four best campaign. He just changed the sparrows to something else. Oh, and, and what was that? The funniest thing in this entire episode. Bed bugs. I mean, I can understand why you would want to campaign against those. <laughs> but how but do I'm you... I'm not exactly sure how that's going to work. I don't either. Rats I can kind of get. Flies, yeah, maybe. Mosquitoes, I can get. How do you eliminate a war? How do you how do you propose a war on bed bugs? Gotta That's make silly. Look a little less stupid, although it doesn't really change much. Well, no, but it's it's the most humorous thing in this entire tale, or at least here on part one. Part two for the American Sparrow War. That's all manners of silly. I can see that. Oh no, no, it has nothing. To do. It's not no nothing what you might even think it is oh i don't i i mean mm, i don't know we're pretty cruel too so oh no no we didn't actually kill sparrows in america like i said it's an academic war i don't know where that's going in academic ornithology war (laughs) the american okay so the american sparrow war in part two of this is going to be downright hysterical all right (laughs) But to, uh, to, to, uh, to finish off this story with, with China, over time, because the war on sparrows was rescinded, the sparrow population began to rebuild itself. So the tree sparrows came back. And to help out, even sparrows from the Soviet Union and even Canada were imported into China to help increase and rebirth the population. Because it's Canada and they're really nice. Okay. But that that would end part one on the Sparrow Wars. And we'll have part two out soon. Yeah. I guess that'll do for this episode of History Explains It All. (laughs) (laughs) And we hope to see you next week as we trek through history to explain it all. Bye. Bye.